Let's honor the shepherd of this house, Pastor Jordan Green, with a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Come on, let's honor our pastor. Amen. Amen. We thank God for Pastor Jordan. You know, there's a lot of places that would love to have him come preach. They would love to have a Pastor Jordan in their church. But isn't it a good thing to know that he, was, he is our leader? And I can attest, even in the short time that, I know him, that I've known him, that he is a man of integrity. He's not a man that stands on God's pulpit and preaches one thing and lives another. He's a man who's faithful. He's not afraid of stepping on anybody's toes if it means defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can't help but to, but to say that because it's, I believe it's, it's, it should be in us to honor the men and, and women of God, to, to give honor to whom honor is due. And I know a lot of us say, well, you know, Pastor Jordan, he's just a man like me. He breathes the same air that I breathe. He puts his pants on the same way I, I put my pants on. He bleeds the same blood. But you got to understand that he walks in a different calling. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 4 and 11 declares that he himself, God, gave some to be, not everybody, but gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, for the edifying of the saints, for the equipping and, and, and the work of the ministry. This is what this man has been sent here to do. And let me tell you something. Message him from time to time. Don't always ask him for stuff. Pastor, I need this. I need that. Just tell him you love him. Send him a message. Tell him I'm thinking about you. I don't want anything, but I just want to encourage you. I want to let you know how much a blessing you have been to me and my family. And I promise you, he will appreciate that. Amen. Amen. We thank God again for the associate pastor of Pursuit Church and Pastor Jamie Green. We thank God for him. We, amen. It's all right to clap. Amen. We thank God for one of the coolest dudes I know on this side of heaven, Pastor John Doggett. Amen. Hey. <laughs> we thank God for him and his family uh, leading uh, the charge uh, with the students, student ministry. And if anybody who, who knows who's ever had the opportunity in God to lead students in ministry, it is an absolute challenge. But I have no doubt that he is the man equipped for the job. Amen. We thank God for Pastor Taylor and his family, amen, the minister, the minister of music, amen, and what the band continues uh, to do Sunday in and Sunday out. God bless you. We appreciate you. Uh, Sister Terry Broom, amen, leading the charge for the women's ministry, amen. God is just doing some excellent and some great things, amen. And to my wife, I don't know if she went home. Where's she at? Now I can preach. Amen. <laughs> my wife and my family, amen, she's such an inspiration, such a blessing to me. I, honest to God, I don't deserve her. I don't know why she married me. Amen. But I think she's probably the only woman who can sincerely put up with me. Amen. She, she tells me when I'm jacked up and I need to tighten my shot group up. Amen. I say, okay. Amen. I listen to it. Amen. As best as I can. Help me, Lord. <laughs> amen. I love my wife. Love my children. I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, for them. God bless you, first-time visitors. If this is your first time at Pursuit Ministry, we pray uh, that the Lord would speak a word into your heart this morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is uh, Clifton Moore. I prefer to be called Cliff. Uh, me and my mom still have beef about that Clifton thing, right? You say it a bunch of times real fast, and probably like after the third or fourth, you just kind of grossed out. 
But my mama named me, and it's 36 years too late, and it is, to me it's not worth it going down and doing a name change, but I thank God for it. I am the uh, leader over the men's ministry here at Pursuit Church, and we are excited about the move of God that is taking place in the hearts and the minds of our men. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm not going to waste your time. I don't believe in wasting God's time, but if you have your Bibles this morning, if you're old school like me, and you still have a paper Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12 this morning, and I really believe uh, that the word of God, that, that God really has a word uh, straight from heaven this morning to really encourage us, to challenge us, amen, in such a way. You know, that book in Hebrews, is, I tell people all the time, it's probably one of those books where the pages are still stuck together. Right, because we don't read it. It's that one that, that people still debate about, you know, who's the author of and who wrote it. And it's that one that talks about that whole order of Melchizedek, and it's just like deep truths and a lot of deep understanding. I kind of stay away from that book, kind of like the book of Revelation, kind of just freaks up the freaks the Christian out. So we'll just leave those books alone. But I'm telling you, when you read uh, the book of Hebrews, in my personal opinion, it is one of the most powerful books of the 23 books of the New Testament. You're talking about a book transitionally that talks about the power of a faith and not just a, a, a faith that just believes in Jesus, but a faith to just believe Jesus. You're talking about a group of Jewish Christians who really have to give up the mindset of trying to maintain ceremonial rights ceremonial laws and abiding by laws and here there's a man that God introduces and raises up in the book of Acts by the name of the apostle Paul that introduces the dispensation of grace and it's messing with the heads and messing with the lives of the Jewish believer because they've been taught since inception that there's the things and all these works that they have to do to to be considered to be right or in right standing in the presence of the Lord but thank God for Jesus that was a good place to say amen <laughs> because what he did over 2,000 years ago, now the Bible says through Paul's ministry, all we've got to do is believe. We believe and we can be saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's good news. It's a blessing. And this morning, God sent me uh, this way just to challenge us a little bit to exhort you, to, to encourage you, to, to motivate you. And I know when, we, when we're saved, we don't like to hear the word challenge because we don't like our faith challenged. We don't really like to undergo the challenge. If it was up to us, Brother Mark Kell, we kind of, as I said last service, we kind of do one of these numbers and kind of tiptoe through the faith. <laughs> right? Lord, don't see me. Even though you saved me, you can see everything. You can't see me. Right? Like my granddaughter, she's three, and she, she swears up and down she's invisible. I'm like, okay, baby, you know, you know Papa, I can see you. <laughs> All right? He can see you. And then most of us, we, we, won't, we, we won't raise our hands, and we're praying that God would never call on us, and we really don't want to be used, but, but we, we really want to be saved. And along the way, we'll, we'll shake some hands, and we'll, we'll kiss a few babies, and then hopefully in the end, Jesus will stand on the other side with his arms wide open, ready to receive me. And the words that I believe every disciple of God wants to hear well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest or enter into the, 
joy of the Lord. Everybody in here this morning is running a race for your life. You're running for something. Even if you're sitting in God's house this morning and you're not saved and haven't come into the place of salvation, you are running for a cause. There's a reason why you're doing what you're doing. To those that have only been saved for a little while, you're running for something. You're running for someone. For those that have been walking with the Lord a very long time, you are running for something. You are running for someone. It's a race. Now, I don't care where you go in the Bible. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. And I can take you to where Solomon pins in the word in the book of Ecclesiastes. I believe it's the ninth chapter and the 11th verse. Solomon says that the race is not given to the swift. The battle is not given to the strong. The bread is not given to the wise. But God is purposeful in everything that he does. We fast forward into time to an apostle by the name of Paul when he's pinning a letter to the Corinth believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning at verse 24. And Paul tells the Corinth people that you're running a race, that you are striving for a crown. That there's something that God has placed in front of us. That there's something that God has placed inside of us even from the birth and the inception of our mother's womb that gives us the purpose and the meaning of life. And it's easy to stay at the point of talking about the beginning of the race. It's, it, we really, to be honest with you, we really can't talk about the finish line because our, if you're listening to me now, you're not dead. Your soul has not, left, has not yet left your body. <laughs> so there's a great hope, Brother Mark Kellen, an expectation for the finish line. And you know how it is when you, when you first, first get saved. You're reading your Bible. Ain't never read it before, but you're in love with God's word. It's 20, it's 20 radio stations, but yours is only 106.9. You got to program six times. You got the Pursuit CD, so when you get tired of hearing the same songs on 106.9, you just go back to the Pursuit CD, right? You got a joy that's unspeakable. You got a peace that the Bible says even surpasses human understanding. Nobody can tell you anything. You on fire. Matter of fact, you drive, I told the first service, you, you'll be driving through the Walmart parking lot, and you'll look up to heaven and say, God, bless me with a parking spot. You'll come around that Mickey Mouse car wash. I don't know if it's a mouse or whatever that is. Pray for me. I need Jesus. But when you come down to that car wash with that, that thing and you turn back up, you see white lights and somebody's backing out and you take your car and your vehicle and you can park it right in the spot. Won't God do it like that when you first get saved? I told the folks in the first service, man, it's like if you're not careful, you'll find somebody on the street corner and you'll, you'll, you'll be talking to the ants chasing the sugar and you'll tell them if they don't get saved, they're going to hell too. <laughs> you want everybody to be saved. You want everybody to come to the knowledge of how good Jesus Christ really is. 
But it's not the start that God really wants to deal with our hearts with this morning. It's not even the finish line that Jesus really is concerned about this morning. But it's the time or the process of time that happens during the race. <laughs> that, that race for your life that you're running for. The cause and the motivation of why you're running that I just don't want to be another ornament that sits in the church with no activity. I don't want to be the tool that looks brand new but's full of dust that God won't use. But God, I want to run this race. I'm like David in the Psalms, God. I have a soul that chaseth after you. And I can imagine in my Holy Spirit imagination that Jesus stands at the beginning of the race and he's got the gun, and before the gun goes off, you're not saved. And eventually, you come to the knowledge and the understanding that the word of God is true and you are a liar. And that you're jacked up. In the army, we call you a soup sandwich. You're busted and disgusted. You're not worthy. And you've got Jesus, the great I am, standing at the door of your heart, knocking. And you're not the one that turns the television up and pretends like you don't hear, and pretend like you don't hear anybody knocking. You don't tell your wife when that, when that neighbor or that friend that come by to visit you that you don't like, turn the lights off, baby, hurry up. I see him at the front door. You don't play one of those roles. But you consciously respond to the knock on your heart when God calls your name. And when the gun goes off and the race begins and you take your first stride, now it's time to run. This is the part that's important because it's in the process, church, when a lot of the faithful would become faithless. When a lot of the hopeful will become hopeless. When a lot of the strong in God will become the weak in the world. I never seen so many believers who call themselves saints of the most living God but are tapping out like crazy. Saved people committing, saved people taking their own life. People who are saved and filled with the third person of the Godhead. Feeling like they don't have a reason to live. Forgot about the hope that's supposed to reside in them. The divorce rate in the body of Christ almost marrying that and matching that of the world. Giving up. Nothing to run for. No hope. Just getting by. Doing the bare minimum. Let's talk about the process of time. Hebrews 12 verse 1. And the word of God reads, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? If you go back to chapter 11, you start to see there's brothers like Abraham and 
Moses and Joseph and Esau and talks about Sarah and how faithful they were. In fact, when you go back and study the life of Abram, before God named him Abraham, he has been dubbed the father of faith. He is asked by the living God to sacrifice his own son. He's in tune to the voice of the Lord. He'll do whatever it takes. And he's on his race. And I can't imagine what's going on in his heart and in his mind as he's about to sacrifice his own flesh and blood. But when I look at the story of Abraham, it almost is a match-for-match image of what God was saying to Abraham, Brother Joe, that God was going to do when he introduced and sent Jesus Christ into the earth. (laughs) That I'm going to send my only begotten son to the earth, that whomsoever should believe should not perish, should not die, should not fade away, but will have a life everlasting. And then you look at the life of Moses. That was a funny guy. Y'all got to go read Exodus. He was a trip. I counted, and you can, Pastor Jordan, I counted about 11 times he gave God excuses as to why he couldn't carry out the promise. I stutter. God said, I'll send you Aaron. But God, what about the sorcerers? Don't worry about that. I got it. He always had an excuse of why he couldn't do what God asked him to do. (laughs) I know that's not us, but that was Moses. And that's where a lot of us are. As we run the race of our life, there's an obstacle, there's water, there's tidal wave, there's, there's those Hawaii 50-foot waves that are in front of us. And when we look at the circumstance and when we look at the obstacle, we're like, oh, hold up now. And then at our 6 o'clock, we turn around and there's Pharaoh and the devil and demons and principalities and spiritual warfare that we just, uh, I don't want to deal with that one either. It's like, uh, do I, mm, uh, okay, God, I can't go anywhere. And it's those times in the process that I, hear, hear, me, hear me good this morning, church. I want you to begin to believe in why it is important to appreciate the in-between time as God is running with you. Nobody ever cares about the process. Those are these clouds of witnesses. These are the people that I believe God has inducted into the hall of faith. They're not just standing by talking about faith, but they have an active level of faith that they could actually testify and that you and I, as the suggested reader of God's word, has the opportunity and have the opportunity to stand back and learn from what they've done. The in-between time, the cloud of witnesses, the Bible then says to let us, let us lay aside. In other words, let us, let us put some stuff, you know how it is when you tell your children to clean the room and you go up and inspect the room, right, and come to find out they just hid it under the bed real far, and they know because daddy, he old and he big and he can't crawl and fit under my, my twin bed, right? I just hide it and tuck it in the back, right? Lay that stuff aside. 
put it down somewhere. But what is the writer of Hebrews really saying? Lay aside not just so much the sin, okay? But when you look at this, it says, wait and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Which means there are some things that when we run this race of life, there are some things that when we run this race of faith, I don't care how good you look, how strong you are, who you know, and how much money you have, how holy you think you are, how much word you can quote, how much Bible you've read, how many times you've prayed and you've fasted, you always have the opportunity to be ensnared by either one or two things, and that is sin and the weight of this world. Hey, look. If that's not your testimony this morning that you don't battle sin, you need to tell the Lord, thank you. Hallelujah. That's not my testimony because I battle it. I'm like Paul. I had to, sometimes I had to beat my flesh into subjection. Paul said, I don't want to preach and be a castaway. I don't want to, I don't want to preach and be, and, be, and be disqualified. But let's get real for a minute. Let's talk about the things that a lot of churches are afraid to talk about. <laughs> Let's talk about that, that weight that nobody wants to bring up that's in your life. What do you mean? What you talking about, preacher? We weight? Yeah, the weighty stuff. The weights. The things that hold you down. The things that you think nobody else sees and God doesn't know about. Those things that are deep. And hidden inside the inner chambers of a man and a woman's heart. That we overlook so many times and we refuse to talk about. How about that weight of hatred that you carry because of the abuse that you witnessed in your home? You've seen your mama hit your daddy and you've seen your daddy hit your mama. You've seen stepmom hit stepdad and stepdad hit stepmom. And there's hatred inside of you because of the abuse that you witnessed as an adolescent all through your childhood years. And now God has saved you. He's filled you with his spirit. But there's that weight of hatred that you carry around inside of you. That God knows if you would just give it to him and lay it at the feet of his cross. He could take it away and we'd be better preachers. We'd be better daddies. We'd be better brothers. What about that weight of unforgiveness that you carry around? Because of that person that you put a lot of trust in, whether it's a family member or somebody in your inner circle. that sexually molested you, that abused you as a child, that man that abused you as a younger man sexually, that weight that you carry around, that judgmental thing that, that rests inside of you that God wants to take away, that weight that we carry around and we pretend like it's not hindering us, we pretend like we're not being ensnared. That weight that you, that you hold of, of disappointment because one time mom and daddy were saved and now they're no longer in the church. 
Well, how about that weight of prejudice bias that you refuse, that God really can't use you because of the region of the country that you grew up in. You won't go and witness and serve with people that are not the same color as you, don't look like you, talk like you, and sound like you. It just got real. Those type of weights. The things that hinder us, the things that we're trying to run, and somewhere along the way we can't figure out how we got wrapped up trying to run and trying to stay the course and trying to be the best whoever I can be. But I've been ensnared. I've been caught up. And I want to be made free. I want God to use me. I want to be a deliverer. I want to be a tool that the Lord can pull off the shelf at any given moment and use me to advance his kingdom. Nobody wants to talk about the in-between. Nobody wants to deal with the process. But everybody is running for something. The Bible says here that not only will it easily ensnare us, but that you and I have to run with endurance. Ask anybody who runs long distance, cross country, marathons, ask them. And there, there are a few things in particular that are extremely important in the life of a runner. They'll tell you. One is the breathing pattern. The second thing is the measurement and the distance between hand and feet as it strikes the pavement or it strikes the track or the marching surface. But one thing a runner will always tell you is they want to be at their lightest when they're running long distances. Nike, Adidas, New Balance, Reebok, they even have shoes now that are designed that weigh just a couple of ounces. Why? Because I've got a long way to go. And the last thing that I need, why God is calling me to run towards the prize, to the mark of the high calling, is unnecessary weight in my life. I've got to get somewhere, and i got a short amount of time to do it. And let me tell you something about this race of life that everybody in this room is in right now. This is not PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. You can't hit the reset button on this one. You can't start over. I told the second service, you can't reach in the clock and start playing with the pendulum and the, the minute hand and the hour hand and, and try to go back and live our teen years and to live our early 20s and our 30s and our 40s. And I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Those early years, quote unquote, there's no reset button. You can't do it again. And the truth of the matter is, most of us that sit in the house of God right now have more years behind us than you have in front of you. 
I say again, most of you have more years behind you than you have in front of you. I got to run, but I need endurance. This ain't a time, Brother Taylor, to be waving the white flag. This ain't a time to be tapping out. This ain't a time to give up. This ain't a time to rest and, and take a detour. I don't have time for that. I got to stay focused because endurance is literally defined as going through a circumstance that may be uncomfortable even to the lack of your understanding. But I've got to endure. I can't give up. It hurts me to know that people that, that are saved and are filled with the spirit of the living God feel like they have no hope. That they feel like they have no purpose and no sense of direction. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that really reminds us that there's a level of endurance that we have to have. That we can't grow weary in well-doing, Sister Jesse. That we've got to look even to our brother that, or sister that may be struggling. We've got to push them sometimes. You don't know how many road marches I've been on. I've got almost 18 years in the active duty military. Two more, brother. I'm almost done. How many road marches I've seen with brothers with the skin almost coming off the bottom of their feet? Air salt and airborne school. 40 pounds on your back, 30 kilometers. Don't make it, you get sent home. No alibis, no second chances. Chasing those airborne wings and those air assault wings. Then I've got to be the brother that sees my brothers, my, my, my fellow soldiers struggling. And two other soldiers get beside him and say, put your arm around my neck and give me your rucksack. I'm going to carry it for a little while. I know you're hurting and I know you're in pain. We look, brother, we, we're running the same, we're marching the same way. <laughs> we're after the same God. We're seeking the same master. And I know you're struggling, but I'm going to help you hold up the bloodstained banner of Jesus. I know you don't understand why you lost your child and you had to bury him, but I'm going to help you hold up the bloodstained banner. I know you don't know why it is that you had to bury your wife and, her, and, and, and wives that you had to bury your husbands. I don't understand why God does what he does sometimes, but in faith, I'm going to help you hold up the bloodstained banner of Jesus. I've got to endure. I've got to persevere. I've got to push. I've got to push. I've got to move. The reader says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author. He wrote the story. He knows how this thing is going to end. 
even with your own life. He knows how it's going to end. He's God. He's so, listen to this, God is so God that when the gun goes off at the start, Jesus is there. The same Jesus is at the finish line and he's the same Jesus that runs with you while you're running. The one that sees you and you got scars on your knees and you're bleeding and he'll come by and make it all better and tell you to get up and keep running. I know your mama's 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 been telling you that Jesus is coming, but the more mama's 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 and mama's and daddies and daddies and daddies keep telling you, the closer we get. And I'm here to tell you in confidence this morning, you better keep running. Because some of you really won't even appreciate the faith or the measure of faith that Jesus Christ has even put in you until it has to be put to the test. See, it's easy to say that you're faithful, but can you be that cloud of witnesses that can testify to the faith that you profess out of your mouth? It's easy to say, I can lift 325, J.D., until I got to lay under that bench and that weight gets dropped on me. I believe that we're living in an hour where God is calling the bluff of his people. And it's not because God is playing around and he don't have anything else better to do. It's because that the direction that God wants to take us in, our faith has to be sure. Our election has to be made known. And some of the most blessed times in your walk, hear me good, is when you've got that wave of ocean in front of you and you've got the devil behind you. And the closer it seems like the space gets, J.D., all we can do is look up to heaven and call on his name. We get between that rock and that hard place when it's nobody but Jesus that can reach down from glory and pull us out the muck and the myrrh. Nobody but him. But he says here there's a joy that's been set before you to endure the, he endured the cross. And because of his endurance on the cross, I am so glad that Jesus didn't go before the Father to do the contract a different way. I'm so glad that he said, man, the heck with these people. I done came down here for 33 and a half years and these boogers still can't recognize that I'm the son of the living God. I'm so glad that when he hung on that cursed tree, that it was Cliff that he was thinking about. I'm so glad he didn't amend the contract and do it another way. I'm so glad that a man who knew no sin became the sin for mankind. I'm so glad that he had me on his mind. 
Because the truth be told, the person you see in the mirror should have been the one with the nails through your hands. The one that you see in the mirror should have been the one with the nails through your feet. You should have been the one hung high, Brother Kale. I'm the one that should have been stretched wide. It was my sin, it was my foolishness, it was my wickedness that he was dying for. And people ask me, Jamie, why, why I go so hard? Why are you so crazy for Jesus? Why you act like that? You're weird. I'm peculiar. Read your Bible sometimes. I'm not, I'm not here to be popular. I'm not here to be your friend and to fit into the world system. I laugh when stuff ain't funny. I run and I shout when nobody ain't chasing me. Because I understand that I'm not only in a war, I'm in a fight, but I'm in a race for my life. And the reason that I can run as hard as I run, Terry Broom, is because there's a man by the name of Jesus that ran the same race that I'm trying to run over 2,000 years ago. He's my hope. He's the reason why I can run. He's the reason why I can work 12-hour days and step in a body shop and teach like I've been on vacation a week. There ain't nothing I won't do for my Jesus. There ain't no mountain I won't climb. You can hate me. You ain't got to like me. You can cuss me. It don't matter. Because what you're doing to me, they did to my father first. Jesus told the disciples, in the 15th chapter of St. Matthew, that it's not even the works that I do and that greater that you will do the reason why people will hate you. But people are going to hate you just for my name's sake alone. He says, now after I endured the cross, I despised the shame and even after it all, I sit down and I sit down at the right hand of God. I'm back at my rightful place and I look down from the mercy seat and I'm praying and interceding for you to remind you that you're not running by yourself that I'm not only at the start I'm not only at the finish but I'm the God all between the power of redemption that took place on that tree and we got all types of crosses hanging around our necks. We got crosses in our guest bathroom, but we lost the meaning of what that cross really represents. Torture, shame, and crucifixion is what it represents, but Paul said, it is the only thing that I glory in. I can't glory in anything else, but I can glory in that tree that was cursed that a man named Emmanuel laid on, that he gave up the ghost. And the Bible says between the sixth and the ninth hour, there was some weight and there was some sin that had to be dealt with. I've been redeemed. I'm going to say this and then we're going to close in prayer. 
one of the most embarrassing times in my life, and I say probably the second, was I went to junior high trying to look cool with my new gear, school gear on, and I fell in the gazebo and all the girls saw me and laughed. But when I first got saved and gave my life to Jesus Christ on a Resurrection Sunday in a church no bigger than a room, and you can ask my wife, that was probably from here to that podium, and that me and John Dawkins could reach out our hands and touch. God saved me in that little building that was a doctor's office that we borrowed and turned into a church. I got saved in my church, Blood of the Lamb Ministries. We did a, we did a Valentine's dinner. We did a Valentine's ball with the church and we got all dressed up. We enjoyed one another. We had a great time in the Lord. And then we did the, the newlywed game or the married game and the husbands, the pastor came in and would ask the husband six different questions and the wives would go out and then the wives would take turns and the pastor would ask the wives six questions and the husbands would go out. And I've been married to this woman for a little while now. And they were asking stuff like, what's the shoe size and what's the favorite color and what's the favorite food? I'm like, oh, I got this one, Pastor Jordan. It's too easy. I'm getting that $100 prize at the end of this uh, Valentine ball. I'm getting that money. In Jesus' name. Until I realized that after the questions were asked, I'm telling one of the most embarrassing times of my life, I maybe have gotten one question right. To a woman that I've spent the majority of my life with, I didn't even know the basic things of her life. To the one that I said that I love and would give my life and die for, the one that Paul teaches in Ephesians 5, that we are to die for even as Christ has died for the church. The woman that I gave my life to and gave my vows to, the woman that I said for, for better or for worse, my boo thing, my rib. I had been with her for all this time and come to find out I really never knew her. I just knew of her. Had a lot of sex and had a lot of good times. But I really didn't know her. I just knew of her. And my challenge is today that don't think you're in a relationship and you know Jesus when really you just know of him. It humbled me. I cried because I was embarrassed. The woman that I should know, besides God himself, I didn't know. But I only knew of her. know Jesus this morning we're about to open the altar and I know the altar isn't a thing that we don't really like to do because it's old-fashioned but let me let me let me say this this is a place that the Saints of God can run to because it's a place of refuge at the altar if you go back and read the Bible the altar was really a place that God designed for things to come and die. For things that are in me that are weighty, that have been weighing me down, I can come to the altar in faith and in prayer and know God will meet me before I even get there. Don't let this time pass you by this morning. 
If you know the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and he's knocking on the door, I beg you, I get on my hands and knees because I promise you life is not guaranteed to you. And I'm not ashamed to beg, but I want you to come to the knowledge of who God is. I'm begging you with everything that is within me to answer the call this morning. Run your race. Don't give up. Because in the end, if you read the word, it tells us how the story ends. I'm here to tell you, Pastor Jordan, it's worth running, brother. And I'll run with you. Come to the saving knowledge of who he is. He's not only your savior, but he's your king. And the last time that I checked, kings rule over. They rule hearts. He wants to rule your mind. He wants to rule your marriage. He wants to rule your children that you think God is that's out in the world too far, smoking dope and having sex. He ain't going or she ain't going too far where God can't reach from heaven and save them. The devil is a lie. Run your race with endurance, knowing that in the end, that there is a master by the name of Jesus that stands at the finish line with his arms wide open, waiting to receive you.